We invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. We continue our study through the book of Exodus. We are in the middle of the Ten Commandments, and we are going to be looking at Exodus 20, verse 13. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, our passage is found on page 61 in your Pew Bibles. We are in the second table of the law. The first four commandments deal with our responsibilities primarily to God. The second table, our responsibilities to one another, to other human beings. As we saw last week, the first is foundational, honor your father and mother Today we look at the sixth commandment, which is essentially to respect the sanctity of human life. So let's look at this commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's go to him in prayer. Our God, how we thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation of yourself in it. We thank you for your commands, that you teach us, O God, your holy will. So write your word on our hearts, we pray this, this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We go back to the very beginning of the Bible. The very first sin, of course, was Adam and Eve eating of the forbidden fruit. But the very second sin in the Bible was murder. It was Cain killing his brother Abel. And actually, the third sin recorded in the Bible, though it was much later, was also in Genesis chapter 4, and that was uh, a guy by the name of Lamech who boasts of killing a man for wounding him. So two, uh, two of the first three sins actually recorded in the Bible were the sin of murder. God, we're told in Scripture, made man in his own image. And one result of the fall is a rage to destroy that image, the image of God in man. And as with other commands, as we've seen, as we've gone through these commandments, and we'll see as we continue to work our way uh, through these commandments this commandment is broader than simply literal, physical murder. We'll see that as we move forward. But Let's look first of all at the commandment itself, you shall not murder. This is one of the shortest commandments in the Hebrew. It is only two words, no murder, do not murder. Two words in the Hebrew. Dr. Currid, 
In his commentary, says this, the Hebrew word used here, translated murder, is used 47 times in the Old Testament, and all but one usage, all but one, is you uh, are used for one human being killing another. So 46 out of 47, one human being killing another. In other words, it's not used for killing an, a, an animal. All right, it's not used a, a, a prohibition against hunting, for instance. We'll come back to that in a minute. Most often in the Old Testament, it's used for planned, premeditated murder. But it also includes other forms of wrongful death, such as voluntary or even involuntary manslaughter, as we would call it today, or even unintentional death when the person is still culpable in that Death. So, what are some things? Let's just list some things that it does not mean this commandment. What does it not mean? It does not mean no hunting, for instance. So, Joe and others who like to hunt, you're okay under this commandment. It does not mean there's no no hunting. It also does not mean you cannot protect yourself. It does not mean no self-defense. In fact, if you turn over to chapter 22, a page or two in your Bibles, whatever it is, chapter 22, and look at verse 2, God goes on to give this, to give this instruction, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. It's a form of self-defense. No blood guilt. We also see, for instance, in Nehemiah chapter 4, the, uh, the Israelites are rebuilding the wall and they have weapons to protect themselves. And even Jesus, in Luke chapter 27, tells his disciples to sell their cloak and buy a sword. That is the Prince of Peace who tells his disciples to do that in Luke chapter 27. So it does not mean you cannot defend yourselves, this commandment. It also does not mean no war. The word is not used, in other words, for killing in the context of war or war warfare. God gives the sword to the government for just war. We also see, for instance, in Deuteronomy 20, if we go forward in the Pentateuch, that God gives instructions to Israel for waging war. So this is not a prohibition of of war or warfare. It also does not mean... No death penalty. That is uh, clearly taught in Scripture. Turn over again to chapter 21, beginning in verse 12. We're actually going to 
come back to this as well, but look at verse 12. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. So there it is, the death penalty. And we see, we could read on in that passage, it gives several other instances of that as well. In fact, turn in your Bibles. This is actually given right from the very beginning. Turn back to Genesis chapter 9, or just listen as I read. Death penalty was given basically from the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. The fact that God made man in his own image is actually given as the reason, God's give, God-given reason, for the death penalty itself. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. He's upholding here the sanctity of human life. The death penalty is upholding the sanctity of human life and God's sovereignty over human life, according to the word of God. Of course, not according to our society today, or many in our society today. So anyhow, these are things that this commandment does not mean. So what does it mean? Well, it means several things. First of all, simply do not kill another human being. Do not murder as we think of it in the first place. Do not murder Second thing we could say, uh, relevant in our culture today, is no abortion. No abortion. The Bible teaches the sanctity of all human life. A child in the womb is created by God. Scripture teaches us this. Psalm 139 You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Michael Horton, in his book on the Ten Commandments, in fact, says this. uh, Abortion is not just disobedience, but heresy. It is a denial of God's sovereignty over Life. In fact, interestingly, John Calvin said this, The fetus, though enclosed in the womb of its mother, is already a human being, and it is almost a monstrous crime to rob it of the life which it has not yet begun to enjoy. That's almost 500 years ago. And we're still, this is, we think of this as a, as a modern issue 500 years ago, Calvin said that. No abortion. It also means no euthanasia. No euthanasia. God is sovereign over life and death. And we cannot take that into our own hands. Now, we put a dog down 
earlier this year. It was a sad, sad event in our lives. But a dog is not a human being made in the image of God. As close as we get to our pets, they are not human beings made in the image of God. And so we don't put them down. It is God's prerogative only. Now, let me also say this. Very briefly, letting someone die naturally rather than keeping them alive artificially would not fall under this category. Letting them go into the hands of God instead of keeping them alive is often a loving and humane thing to do. But those are oftentimes determined by the circumstances. A fourth thing that this forbids would be no suicide. As G.I. Packer puts it, calls suicide self-murder. Self-murder. God is the creator. We are the creation. We have no right to destroy what God has made. And then fifth, and I'll stop with this one, no cruelty, no violence that can shorten a life. Sometimes cruelty or violence may not kill a person, but it can shorten a life. That would be outlawed under this command as well. Life is sacred. God is sovereign. And we honor God by respecting his image in those whom he has created. Now there's the basics of this sixth command. But let's look deeper. Let's look really at the heart of this sixth commandment. Turn with me to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. All sin comes from the heart, and heart sins are as culpable in God's eyes as physical ones. Scripture teaches us that. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old... You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last Penny. 
Notice how this passage begins in verse 21. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. He begins with the command, but then he moves to the heart. The Lord Jesus does. Verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. The full intention of this sixth commandment. Notice here, he is not saying that anger leads to murder, although that is sometimes true, but that sinful anger is a form of murder. You notice that the punishment here is the same in verse 21 and verse 22. Everyone who murders will be liable to judgment. I say everyone who is angry will be liable to judgment. It's parallel in verses 21 and 22. Sinful anger is a form of murder. And I say sinful anger because there is a righteous anger. There is a righteous anger. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Jesus was angry when he entered the temple and and cast out the money changers, there is a righteous anger, although ours rarely ever is. It's hard to have a righteous anger. In James 4, James chapter 4, James says our our lusts, our, our passions lead to anger, to conflicts, even to to murder. He writes, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Why do we get angry? Because our passions are at work. Within us. Dads, why do we get angry and irritated at the end of the day? Sometimes, well, we had a long day and we just want to be left alone. And our kids are making too much noise. Whatever else it might be. Lou Priolo in his book, The Heart of Anger, says, if your anger is due to your recognition that a holy God has been offended by another's behavior, that anger is righteous. If your anger is the result of your not having your personal desires met, it is usually sinful. Jesus moves on here to say, to speak, uh, to speak, what we speak in that anger, sorry. Being angry and now speaking out of that anger. In verse 22, whoever insults his brother, or whoever says, you fool, to his brother. Let's look at these terms here. First of all, insults. Literally, the the word that is 
used here by Jesus is an Aramaic word. It's the word raka. You may actually have a translation that uses that word. Whoever says to his brother raka, it's a, it's a, a, that would be a literal translation of the Aramaic. And the word literally means empty. Basically to say you're a nothing. You're worthless. You have no value is the idea here. He goes on to say, you fool, whoever says to his brother, you fool, verse 22, will be liable to the hell of fire. The Greek word here is moros, our word moron comes from this Greek word. It's a foolish person using insults using words to hurt, using words to destroy. The old phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, is a lie. Names hurt. And oftentimes more than sticks and stones at the end of the day. And Jesus then goes on with the importance of going directly to the one with whom we need to be reconciled and seek reconciliation with that person. That's how this passage ends here in Matthew chapter 5. Take your bulletins on the back panel. There are questions from the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's look at the first two of those questions. First of all, what is God's will for us in the sixth commandment? I am not to belittle, insult, hate, or kill my neighbor, not by my thoughts, my words, my look. Or gesture, and certainly not by actual, actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. Next question, does this commandment refer only to murder? Answer, God's prohibition of murder teaches us that God hates the root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are hidden murder. You know, sometimes we make light of this hidden Murder. Sometimes we say things like, well, he's got an anger problem. He's got an anger problem. Well, you know what Christ says? How Christ would put it? He's got a murder problem. He's got a problem with murder of the heart. It must be dealt with. An anger problem must be dealt with. 
Or you know what? It then becomes a judgment problem, according to Matthew chapter 5. It becomes a judgment problem. Third and finally, and more briefly, there is a duty in this commandment to preserve life. A duty to preserve life. Look at the final question in your bulletin from the Heidelberg Catechism. Is it enough then that we not murder our neighbor in any such way? The answer, no. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves. To show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness towards them. To protect them from harm as much as we can. And to do good even to our enemies. So not only are we not to murder or be angry, but we are also to seek the good of others. Of course, the classic biblical example of this would be the the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. We're not going to turn there and look at it. You know the, the story. We've got We've got, we've got the good guys, actually. The good guys in the story are the, the priest and the Levite. At least, they should be the good guys. The priest, the Levite, the clergy, the pastors who pass by on the other side and do nothing to help. This man who has been basically left for dead... It's the bad guy, the hated Samaritan, who stops to help. You know, in our day, we could perhaps rename it and retell it. You know, the good Samaritan would be like saying the good communist, the good Islamic terrorist. Something along those lines. But he was the good neighbor. And Jesus says at the end of the parable, go and do likewise. Martin Luther says of this sixth commandment, under this commandment, not only is he guilty who does evil to his neighbor, But he also who can do him good, prevent, resist evil, defend and save him so that no bodily harm or hurt happen to him and yet does not do it. Keeping this commandment looks easy at first glance, doesn't it? It's easy. Oh, I haven't murdered anyone. But as Phil Reichen puts it, it is probably the most difficult to keep when we consider all these factors. Probably the most difficult to keep. One of my favorite movies, it's a movie that stars Billy uh, Crystal, City Slickers. I don't know how many of you have seen that movie City Slickers. There's this one line in the movie when 
Billy Crystal's character says to the trail boss, played by Jack Palance, his name is Curly, says, Curly, have you killed anybody today? He's a very intimidating figure. Have you killed anybody today? And his response is, day ain't over yet. Have you belittled anyone today? Have you insulted anyone today? Have you thought bad of anyone today? Have you displayed the root of murder, envy, anger, vindictiveness? Have you shown love to your neighbor, patience, gentleness, mercy? Done good, even to enemies. The good news is that Christ died for murderers. Christ died for murderers. In fact, he most likely died between two of them. He most likely died between two of them. The the Greek word that's used there that most translations translate thief can also be translated revolutionary. In fact, it's used of Barabbas. That same Greek word is used of Barabbas, who was exchanged for Jesus, who was a a, a revolutionary. He was in prison, Scripture tells us, for insurrection and murder. And likely, I believe the one on the cross who is with Jesus in paradise was himself a murderer, an insurrectionist who was being crucified, who is a murderer. Christ died for murderers, those who insult, who get angry, who have envy, who are vindictive. But praise the Lord, Christ also died and sent his spirit to bring about our sanctification. And praise the Lord, if we are trusting in Christ, if we have his spirit, he is working in us. He's working in us love, patience, peace, gentleness, holiness. So we can indeed pray that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, how we thank you that indeed you are a a gracious and loving God. How we thank you that you love sinners, that you save sinners, that you change and transform sinners. And so, O oh God, we pray that you would continue your transforming, sanctifying work in our hearts. We thank you for Christ, who gave himself for us, that we might know you. And so, O oh God, we pray that you would continue your work in us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.